This is A New Angle, a show about cool people doing awesome things in and around Montana. I'm your host, Justin Angle. This show is supported by First Security Bank, Blackfoot Communications, and the University of Montana College of Business. Hey folks, welcome back, and thanks for tuning in. Today's guest is Cole Mannix, founder of the Old Salt Co-op, a collection of entrepreneurs and ranchers seeking to produce nourishing food while preserving the ecological health of the Montana landscape. The land is, it's the common good. It's the thing we all are going to depend on for years and years to come, and so we have an obligation to it. The land owns us. We belong to it. Cole is a fifth-generation Montana rancher. He studied biology and philosophy at Carroll College and earned a master's degree in theology from Boston College. Cole, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Justin. So tell us, where did you grow up and what did your parents do? I grew up in the Helmville, Blackfoot Valley, and my parents were ranches. Dad and mom ranched with my dad's two brothers and the extended family. So by now, I'm the oldest of the kids in the fifth generation, and I've got three siblings and three first cousins, and and they're growing families all a part of the ranch now. And I'm a city kid. I live in I live in Helena, not right. too far away, about an hour. And so as a kid, was, was being on the ranch and working the ranch just sort of the expected glide path for you? Well, that's what we did, you know, in terms of for work, following dad around, I always thought I wanted to be a rancher. Yeah. And I, I still think of my profession today as all geared towards trying to support what I care about. My wife and I had a little conversation just before we got married about whether she could picture herself living in Helmville where I was the only kid in my class. And uh, I think she couldn't quite picture that. And so from Helena, what I do now is very much engaged in the family ranch and ranching more generally in Montana. And so talk about your choices with your education. You go to Carroll, study biology and philosophy, and then get a master's degree in theology. So you kind of have a bit of an eclectic educational <laughs> background for, for somebody involved in ranching. Yeah, it's called not having a, a plan. Uh, That's okay. I, I never had it mapped out. I, I did think I wanted to be a rancher, but I actually started at Montana Tech. I did a year in metallurgy. Oh. That was very geared towards mining and industry, and I thought, oh, I'm going to try something a little bit different. I went to Carroll right after that. Started into a biology program, and I finished a four-year degree in that. In the middle of that, I also got in- interested in more of the liberal arts, and, and I did an undergrad in philosophy, mm-hmm. also at Carroll. And just kind of kept exploring. I was, I was just very interested in exploring faith and where our beliefs come from. A lot of it is history, and I wanted to do a degree in theology. I thought even that I may become a Jesuit priest at some point, Okay, but I did it. A master's program in in Boston I had never been out. Yeah, you know, big from culture he- shock for you. <laughs> Helmville, Montana. I mean, Carroll was huge. Helena was huge to me. Yeah, and so Boston was another level, and I just I loved it. So it was a great experience. But I I found myself back teaching at Carroll as an adjunct and managing right. the freshman dorms. There was kind of two paths. It was if you're going to keep going in academia, Montana might not be where you end up. And I w- I've always had deep roots here, and I care a lot about the family's ranch and all of my connections and family are here. And so um, right about that time, my dad and some others were starting a a beef company. It was called Salt of the Earth. They were trying to add value to to land stewardship at the end of the day. How do we take good care of this land into the future? The commodity market um, ultimately works against that over time. And I went to work for that, and I, w- I worked for it for five years. A really small operation, but mm-hmm. we were taking cattle out of the West. We were processing in Greeley, Colorado. We found a buyer, and it was a bath in the little mini MBA, I guess, um, in the industry. It failed, um, and so in 2016, I 
I went to work for a conservation and agriculture nonprofit called Western Landowners Alliance. Right, right. That focused more on the policy side, state and federal, things like the Endangered Species Act, things like state wildlife policies. They're talking about all these questions of working lands in, that are helping to maintain wild places. You've described several dimensions of what's wrong with our meat production system in this country. Well, let's get right at that. Like, How is the system broken, in your view, from the vantage point of, of a rancher as an entrepreneur, as a fifth-generation Montana rancher? Um, talk about that. Well, it's broken because it's, it's focused on production alone and cost. It's all about how do we produce the most for the least. And the problem with that is that all the intangible intangible values that are actually becoming more and more tangible, soil health, water, wildlife habitat, those are often not monetized. And so our system has been set up to deliver consistent, as cheap as possible, animal protein. Mm -hmm. And it's actually the meat, people think of meat, I think it's the topic of many ethical and environmental concerns first, but it's really more, it starts with our, the most fertile land in the country, which is the land we produce grain on. And we have deeply invested as a culture in monocrop production of of grain. And we've separated out livestock from those landscapes. Farming Mm -hmm. landscapes are kind of farming landscapes. Livestock is its own thing. And it's only when you start feeding grain in the feedlot setting, kind of towards the end of that cycle, that they t- the two come together. But the cheap grain produced by using heavily pesticides and herbicides and anhydrous ammonia, artificially produced fertilizers instead of livestock fertilizers, at the end of the day, they, they destroy microbiology. And they erode soil and they put nitrates in the water system and, and phosphorus. And those are becoming huge huge problems. So basically, we need to find a way to reintegrate livestock and cropping system on the ecological end. Mm -hmm. And then downstream of the production itself, we're more consolidated in terms of a few huge packers and a few huge distributors and a very consolidated group of retailers really control the access to the customer. And that means very few options in terms of who are you as a producer going to sell to. We don't, you don't have a lot of control of your own destiny. It drives producers to lower and lower and lower cost, bigger and bigger, bigger scale, trying to keep up. And at the end of the day, what loses is you eventually lose some of the ranches and the farms, but mm-hmm. you also b- lose the ability to focus on those intangible soil health and water and wildlife habitat and all the things that have to be really managed carefully if you're going to produce and at the same time either maintain or improve land. And you've got such a gap between the people actually doing the things to support those values and those cultural assets in many ways and the end consumer. There's such a disconnect there. So that seems to be maybe what you're up to with Old Salt. Talk about Old Salt and how that fits into solving this problem. Yeah, I think that, you know, if there if you could boil down one word <laughs> to describe the problem, I think it's anonymous. Mm. Or there's so much distance between where it's produced and where you ultimately buy it. And it's just so convenient to go to Costco or Walmart. But unfortunately, even even attempts to reform that system with labels and certifications and claims about how much better this product is, they still are playing the same commodity game. They're still trying to stand out on a shelf in Whole Foods or wherever that retailer is. Old Salt is taking a different approach where we're selling Montana beef, lamb, and pork that we raise on ranches that own Old Salt 
that we process right in Helena, Montana. And these ranches are taking excellent care and striving to get better and better at soil health and water and wildlife habitat. And you actually have a chance of knowing the landscapes that these come from. And so not only do we sell those things online, but we have restaurants, uh, one already and a second one on the way, and events. Um, We have a a festival of food and music and conservation festival coming up this summer. Mm -hmm. We hold events on the ranches. And the whole idea is just engagement. You can learn so little at the end of the day from a label. And so we're trying to strike a balance between knowing the customer as best we can and, and giving the customer a whole bunch of touch points to basically invest in the landscapes that they care about and invest in the kind of Montana that they want to see. One of the remarkable things about Old Salt is the variety of things that you do. You have the restaurant, as you mentioned. You've got processing. You've got a, a festival. Oftentimes, people in business say, like, got to keep focus on what you do well. But in your view, you're trying to reach customers in a variety of ways. So talk about this distribution of activities and, and how – your partners have kind of bought into that. Yeah, unfortunately, the, so much of the local infrastructure that is required for food production has gone away. Yeah. N- not just the retail, but the, the processing. And so if we had a really good co-packer um, and we had that option where they had capacity and we could grow our brand using that, that would have been the way to do it. Mm-hmm. That didn't exist at a scale that we needed. The other thing is that, again, local food is not, at the end of the day, it's not about a cert- certification or a set of fancy marketing claims. It's really about just greater knowledge and connection with your food. Mm-hmm. And um, that's the reason behind the restaurants. We wanted to be people to be able to experience the food, to have that food presented in its absolute best light. And we wanted to use it to test the market a little bit. What's the energy around what we're this brand that we're creating? And so we lease space in a bar, in an existing bar in Helena. We created a burger concept. That thing, it launched in fall of 21. And the community showed up and supported it heavily right away, and it's only just gained momentum and gained momentum, and it was just stunning. We'll be back to my conversation with Cole Mannix after this short break. A New Angle is supported by First Security Bank, Blackfoot Communications, and UM's College of Business. Access to capital, broadband, and education are three ingredients any community needs for success. Hey, this is Coulter Nuanas from ESPN Missoula, and you're listening to A New Angle. Welcome back to A New Angle. I'm discussing sustainable ranching with Cole Mannix of the Old Salt Co-op. Let's talk about that festival a little bit coming yeah. up at the end of June. I think the dates are 23rd to the 25th. Yeah. Yeah. Why a festival, and what are you hoping to accomplish? Yeah, we're, we're just hoping to build bridges between all the folks at move to Montana and care about this landscape and the folks that are producing food. And so it's a Montana celebration of ranching and wild landscapes. It's a food festival first. And so picture a 40 foot fire, cinder block fire. The first night, uh, Elias Cairo of Olympia Provisions and Jeremy Charles are going to do a 12 hog roast. The next night, same deal. We're going to have Tournant, which is a Portland kind of wood fired cooking brand. Mm -hmm. And Jared Foster and and Mona Johnson are actually from Helena. And so um, they're coming out to do 10 lamb, 5 beef. The next morning, Eduardo Garcia out of Bozeman will do barbacoa. And then there's 14 bands. Um, There's some wonderful speakers. David James Duncan, who many would know from his brother's K and the River Y. Right. 
will be speaking about his new book and sort of an imagining a community of that's more connected, something mm-hmm. that we're striving for. We're going to have, we have all kinds of nonprofit partners that are the Blackfoot Challenge and Wild Montana and Land Trusts and Montana Master Hunter and the Association of Conservation Districts. And they're going to talk about some of the, the collaborative projects that have worked in the state that they're proud of. It happens to be the 30th anniversary of the Blackfoot Challenge, and they no Great. longer have to do their swan introductions now because the population is 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 thriving. Mm-hmm. And so it's they're going to kind of highlight some of the kind of rural-urban partnership stuff that has worked and that they're proud of. So for somebody listening who's interested in this space, like what will they get out of the festival? I mean, it sounds like it's going to be a really fun time with great food, but you might actually learn a few things too. Yeah, I think it's going to be a balance of um, festive uh, but contemplative yeah, in a way. It's a great word. And so, and that's really the intention. I mean, there's wonderful music festivals all across the region. Mm-hmm. To bring your kids out and to have a pasture walk in the morning and then for the, the foods already being cooked uh, as, as the fires are being prepared. There's a general store where makers who are making awesome stuff out of wool and leather and iron from across the region will be showing off their little businesses that they're starting up in these places and trying to make a living in a beautiful place that they love. And then, you know, the music will be integrated with a woman named named Diana Rogers, another woman named Nicolette Nyman Hahn, who both speak to this topic of livestock and the environment and animal foods and health and nutrition. And so there's there's content sprinkled out throughout the, the weekend that is just a combination of a really good time, but something that the main, I think the main thing that people will come away with is like, this is the best networking event (laughs) I've ever been to. Like the people that are going to be there are just starting awesome businesses across the state. And it's all in this kind of food and agriculture and conservation space. When we started this conversation, you described the core problem of the system being all the rewards go to producing as much as you can and selling it for as little as you can. And so for customers who want to try to do better, sometimes it's difficult, Hmm. right? We either need to, as consumers, we either need to accept that we're going to have to pay higher prices or we're going to have to put more effort in or we're going to have to go to fewer places. Like customer behavior essentially has to change in some ways for your vision to scale. How do you kind of navigate that space of there's customers that that probably want to do a better job, but it, 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 it... does it have to incur more hardship for a customer? Yeah, no doubt. There's a lot to sort through yeah. out there. So I think it's incumbent upon us to make it as convenient as possible. <laughs> I mean, because sure. even when I shop, you know, I've got two kids and we've got a busy family life and it's just hard to to focus on this. We're, we're, we can now ship to your door. That's one option. Mm-hmm. We're working to figure out is home delivery an option for us? Okay. I would, you know, we're really focused on Montana. We would love to sell, we'd love to build up like 5,000 Montana families that yeah. we sell meat to. There's $248 million of meat uh, consumed in Montana every year. Wow. Maybe six, yeah. six million of that is local. Mm. It's hard to change folks' habits. But on the other hand, there's many people trying. And if we can do our best to rebuild some of that infrastructure, you know, we're, we're working on a local butcher shop um, that would go also in Helena. Mm-hmm and be also in a new um, wood-fired grill concept that, that we're working on called Butcher's Table. That's going to be one place that the Helena community can go any day of the week to get local meat, and also there'll be um, other local foods at the market. And so we need to make it more convenient. 
and rebuild that infrastructure. But at the same time, it's, it is going to be an effort for the customer. I think the whole system does need transformation and there's pain in, in transformation. Yeah, it's rebuilding a lot of old systems that are lost. You've mentioned the butcher shop a, few, a couple of times in this conversation. And I think it's a concept that people have general familiarity with what that is, but mm-hmm. probably very few people listening actually go to a butcher anymore and, and get their meat that way. They just buy it in bulk from you know one of the big box stores or, or whatever the case may be. But that, that key part of the distribution system is one of the, the aspects you're trying to rebuild. A lot of the grocery stores used to have their own butcher shops mm-hmm. and there was literally, you know, the butchers were receiving meat on the bone. They were receiving sides of, of a beef or a lamb and those sides would be further aged and then they would cut them on site. And so you asked earlier, like, why all these enterprises? <laughs> it seems complicated, but there's a you know, 130 some muscles on an animal yeah. and you've got to figure out, this is not just a concept where we build a snack stick and, and we source a few ingredients and then we go market that and try to scale it up. We've got to figure out a home for that entire product. Sure. All the muscles, all the cuts. That's what butchers used to do. They knew it, the animals intimately, they knew how the products could be used. There was a lot of dialogue with the customer about what are you looking for this week? All oh, these carcasses came from this place. And we lost that after the 1980s when the industry started going to boxed beef where all the actual carcasses would be broken down in a big centralized plant, and then the grocery stores became more of a receptacle. They would receive the already boxed and sure. packaged products, yeah, and they, get. they would lay it out in the store, but it really wasn't prepared there. And just that knowledge that's that's lost, in th- that's embodied in the butchers themselves, is a huge loss for the customer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a huge loss in the terms of being more connected to your food, being yeah. able to actually ask questions, being able to say what you want. I'm excited about the last... Uh, really local butcher shop in Helena Union Market went out of business maybe 30 years ago. That long ago, wow. And that kind of Main Street business is something that the Helena community in surveys is constantly would like to have. And yeah. we're hoping to try to bring it. I want to pivot to the environment. You know, Talk about the values of your family when it comes to maintaining and stewarding the land that, that you've been on for, for five generations and how do those values translate to a healthier Montana ecosystem and one that a customer can can support? Well, I think it starts with a, an approach to property that is healthy. Okay. And one of the things that sticks with me the most is that my dad and uncles and my mom and my aunts, they never really treated it like, well, we own this land. Mm. We can do with it what we want. It was always a an obligation to the future. It was a sense that we're here for a short time. We've only been here a little while and we're going to be dead soon. And um, the land is, it's the common good. Yeah. It's its the thing we all are going to depend on for years and years to come. And so we have an obligation to it. The land owns us. We belong to it. And just that ethic is really important. It changes the way you dialogue with the public about access, whether that's access for hunting or or recreation or whatever it might be, but it also changed the way you think about the resource. And so over the years, they've just continued to be open to that and continue to experiment. And, um, you know, we're far from perfect, but we've been able to get out a lot of the inputs that increase production, but can harm ecology over time, like like artificial fertilizer. We've been able to hugely reduce the amount of chemical we put out for weeds. We've been able to solve those problems with animals and the management of animals. 
that set of values is shared across the old salt rancher right. group. And so that's, you know, each year they're measuring the amount of rest that all the plants get. They're measuring the water infiltration um, on key transects across the ranch. The sponger your soil is, the more it can hold whatever water does come to it, and the better those plants and their root systems do. So it's constant observation, iteration, intervention to try to improve observation again. And so they all have pretty extensive monitoring systems in place to help them make those management decisions over time. And how is that different than the model of production that you described at the onset of the conversation that produce as much as you can and sell it for as cheap as you can? If your goal is just purely production and expansion, you're likely not able to give that kind of attention to yeah. all those. In, all and you those don't care about those future generations. I mean, you might to the same extent. Yeah, you. I think there's honestly there's just a lot of producers who do care a lot, but at the end of the day, you're you've you got a crunch and you've got a bank loan, and the thing you get paid for is production. Mm. The other the other part of it is that most of the cattle on Montana ranches are actually being raised in a pretty damn responsible way yeah and it's it's really just the problem is that that part of the supply chain is just once they leave the ranch it's utterly severed and there's there's no control over the finishing process or the processing process and it it truly does become a commodity after that and so it's not it's not like the, the i think the old salt ranches are excellent examples of what they do but there are tons of ranches across the state that are do, that are doing you know, striving just like they are. But if you are, you're just stuck in the system and just like the customer who you're talking about, the customer has this challenge of how do I really make a decision? Well, the, the producers are stuck in the same system. Yeah. They have few options <laughs> they as have, to where to take their beef to market. That's right. Are there policies around this space that, that need to be changed in order for your vision to, to be easier to achieve? I mean, there's a ton of policies and, and uh, part of that is why I sort of left the policy world sure, is yeah. that the policies can be and need to be changed over time, but there's at the local and the state and the federal level, there's so many. And I just think we need more people just doing it differently despite okay. the policy barriers. Yeah. So I'm, I just, I think that entrepreneurial energy is really needed in the space. And gradually over time, we can kind of remake all the policies that are in the way right now. A good local example without going huge and federal is just the zoning in the Lewis and Clark County where we're based. It just utterly prevents a livestock slaughter facility. Okay. And um, we've looked at 30 plus properties and finally found one in a different county, but still nearby that we could work with. But the zoning doesn't contemplate food processing. That's a problem. Yeah. If we want more of that local infrastructure. At the federal level, there's many huge you know, pieces, you know, one is just lack of enforcement of laws we already have on the books and have had on the books since the 1920s. But there's been sort of a lack of political will to really enforce the monopoly rules. Perhaps the biggest on the ranch and farm production level, the the biggest policy dam in the river, if, if you want to call it that, is the way that crop insurance works. Okay. As a society, we, we subsidize crop production with about $27 billion every year. Right. And it's an insurance policy that subsidizes the cost of insurance for farmers, but it kind of ends up forcing them into the same <laughs> monocrop production system. It's really hard to diversify your crops. It's really hard to integrate livestock. It's really hard to ex experiment. 
it's that subsidy that really makes it possible to do monoculture agriculture. Yeah. It's what makes grain cheap. Grain's not cheap to produce, but it ends up being cheap for the customer, partially because of that subsidy. Mm-hmm. And it's why a lot of it is fed to livestock. There are huge federal, you know, national policy challenges, and there's plenty of local ones too. But there's there's enough windows of opportunity if you kind of think about balancing an optimal scale where you it, it's got to be a little bit bigger than the farmer's market, but it doesn't have to be enormous. You don't have, we're not building a company to sell someday to somebody who's going to scale right, it up and right. make it actually profitable. We need to build a midsize Montana business that it's not going to make anybody rich, but it will return much better value to the producers. It will be fair to its workers, employees, and it can be profitable. So to me, that's, that's great. <laughs> that's all, all we need. So when you think about a state like Montana, yeah, we have a divide between urban and rural communities. But even in the urban centers, there still is a pretty deep connection to rural communities in some sense. How then, like what are the key moves here? You've got customer education. You've got these facilities and distribution points that you're building up. What kind of partners do you need in this system for uh, for more people to be able to have access to, to old salt meat or other meats that are pr- uh, produced with the same ethic? The reason Mannix Beef, my own family's brand, exists is because of the good food store. Yeah. You know, that was a an establishment that said, okay, we will buy whole animals from you, and mm-hmm. we will be responsible for me moving the parts and pieces. And that was enough for our family to take a risk and say, okay, we're, we're going to start selling a portion of our herd every year completely locally, and we can design the program around what their customer wants. And so restaurants and grocery stores that are willing to step out of the norm and really work with local people are a huge aspect, and so are distributors. Okay. Uh, We also just need, we need local capital. I mean, all of these local food businesses, and so there are these, there are beginning to be these mechanisms for deploying your capital locally, and um, I think that's a a huge component. So it sounds like a great opportunity for listeners to learn more about what you're up to is to, to check out the festival coming up in late June. Um, let's go back to that. So how can you learn more about the festival and what can an attendee expect? So you can learn more about the festival. You can go to our website, oldsaltcoop.com. There's a whole page for the festival that explains the lineup. It's three days and two nights of camping. The big grand meals each day are all included in the ticket price. Kids under 10 are free. You can bring an RV, you can car camp, it's a really centrally located valley for if you just want to come in from Missoula or coming sure. from Helena or Great Falls. And uh, you can expect to be inspired. I think you're going to meet people here. You're going to hear some talks that just really fire you up about, hey, wherever you live in Montana, it's these landscapes, these iconic landscapes that really help set this place apart. And we've got to find ways to kind of rally together and invest back in those landscapes and care for them. So I, I think this event is going to be something that's it's a maiden voyage, so it's scary. But if people come, they're going to come again. Yeah, I like that. And, and the word you use there, Cole, that I appreciate is inspired. We've known each other off and on uh, for a few years, and inspired is a word that I would use to describe you and your approach to your work and trying to build a better food system. Well, so thanks for coming here today, sharing that vision, and uh, best of luck uh, with all these endeavors. Thanks so much, Justin. It's great to be on.
Thanks for listening to A New Angle. We really appreciate it. And we're coming to you from Studio 49, a generous gift from UM alums Michelle and Lauren Hansen. A New Angle is presented by First Security Bank, Blackfoot Communications, and the University of Montana College of Business. With additional support from Consolidated Electrical Distributors, Drum Coffee, and Montana Public Radio. Keely Larson is our producer. VTO, Jeff Amet, and John Wicks made our music. Editing by Nick Mott. Social media by AJ Williams. And Jeff Neese is our master of all things sound. Thanks a lot, and see you next time.